So, hello! Welcome again. You're listening to this very special episode of the Leprechaun Museum podcast, which definitely is the first time we're recording it. Yeah. Absolutely. No technical issues at all. Oh, no. no. <laughs> this is our Samhain Halloween episode. I am Emily. I am Nisha. And we are joined by a third mystical voice, the wonderful... Mm. Alice. Hello. Yeah, and Alice is with us because, Alice, you are involved in a new, wonderful, weird, exciting project of the Leprechaun Museums. Yes, I am, and I'm very excited about it. Um, What is it? Oh, it's called Veiled. Uh, It is an immersive theatrical tour through the other world. Uh, Yeah, it's on this salon, this Halloween, uh, in association, obviously, with the Leprechaun Museum. It's an 18s, uh, it's an 18s plus show. So we have the dark line, which is already 18 plus. This is sort of this is a bit different to the regular dark lines. Mm. Yes, yeah, and yeah. We, and we've got some, we've got some questions for it. But rather than me just asking you questions, all the questions have gone into our magic question box. Ooh. Yes, I love so, this. So, uh, gonna shake the box. Oh, <laughs> bit of ASMR. Uh, Nisha, would you be the lovely assistant and draw out a question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some paper crinkling. What were the influences? The influences for this project. Okay, started with an email. Uh, I emailed. As most good things do. Yes, yes, it started with an email. Uh, I emailed the Lepcorn Museum. I've just graduated from drama theatre college, basically, and I thought to myself, what would I like to do with myself? And I love horror theatre, and I love horror generally. And so I thought, ah. I'll email the Leprechaun Museum to see if they want to do something. And I had a couple of meetings and I went and I sat with the head of the Leprechaun Museum, Tom, and I spoke with him for about two hours about virtual reality and about a great thing called a pisht, which is a a mythical creature from Irish It's not a dragon. Not a dragon, nor is it a snake, nor is it a worm, but it is somehow all of those things at the same time. Uh, It apparently has ears the size of cauldrons and and tusks, and it it, it tends to have a lot of snake-like qualities. Uh, Some of them... Uh, they're amphibians generally, they chill out in the sea, on the land, in the river Shannon, in Loch Darg, loads of places. Uh, and so we started talking about a paste, and we started talking about Halloween and Samhain and what Samhain means in Irish folklore and how it is the, the lifting of the veil and how it is, you know, the, the access to the other world, to the fairy world where a lot of the supernatural creatures come from. And so with this idea, Tom said to me, let's do something for Samhain for Halloween. So I went home and I sat at my computer and I googled the word paste. Uh, <laughs> and I then spent a few days off in this crazy world of sea gods and great snakes and burning fairy hills and loads of incredible things yeah and and so i just i I guess when it comes to influences like uh, like in theme obviously we're we're using storytelling and oral storytelling and you know folklore and also we're practically i guess we're we're influenced a lot by by immersive like interactive theater but this is going to be done slightly differently this isn't so much interactive as it is just immersive and by the storytelling what's the difference between immersive theater and interactive so immersive theater is when you are walking you are within the world the world does not exist on a flat stage in front of you or even on a thrust stage in front of you it is all around you, everything around you is part of the production. 
and interactive requires a level of audience engagement uh, and past the suspension of disbelief and the following the story to saying things, putting their hands up and getting involved in that way. So we're going down the immersive route, really taking the audience of pulling them into the other world here, passing them through the veil. And and yes, yeah, so I, I guess a lot of the influences are about history and, and how we're uh, at the moment, we're at a very important time in history. Uh, as you'll know, like just from looking at the news, like like how things are told to people is very important at this at this moment in time. Like the way we're very aware of communication and how mm. things are communicated to us portrays different narratives. And I guess uh, one of the main kind of reasons why we're doing this and what influenced us and what made us want to do this was the idea that history should not be forgotten. It shouldn't be repeated but it shouldn't be forgotten what happened before. Ah. So uh, I'm going to draw the question. Yeah. Sorry, I rambled. Hey, you answered the question. It's a, it's a long question. It is. Right, so, uh, oh, this is a question that I think Nisha will probably yeah. want to answer. Yeah. How is storytelling <laughs> different from acting? Ah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's both very different and very similar. You, it, it is still a performance and you draw on a variety of the same skills, which I found as soon as I started working here, but it is also fundamentally quite different. Like, if you look at the history of theatre, you can very much so argue that theatre developed out of traditional oral storytelling, combined with ritual, but that's taking us over to the Greeks. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, for, for myself, I see it as when you're an actor, you're a mere component in the story. You're one of the characters. You're trying to become that character and fulfill their journey throughout the story. When you're telling a story, you're simultaneously directing it. You're also composing it, so you're like the writer. You're also acting out the characters occasionally, but you're never going too into them. You're trying, you are giving the audience the full story. You are everything of the theatrical experience when you're a storyteller. When you're an actor, you're a mere component. Mm. Obviously, they all vary. Like, there's really heightened storytelling. There's very calm storytelling like you do in a pub when you're talking about your day. Same with acting. It can it ranges the whole spectrum. Yeah. They're very similar, but very different beasts. Mm. Yeah, big time. Um, and in in the piece Veiled, yeah. would you say it's more a piece where the performers, because there are about five performers in it, yeah. are they being storytellers or are they being actors? Or Both. Ah, uh, no, they are being storytellers by proxy of being actors. Does that does that make sense? Like via being an actor, are you a storyteller? Uh, so the the performers we're working, we've got three who are full time storytellers, and two who are full time actors, mm -hmm. which is a nice mix for everyone to kind of learn from each other. Uh, but what we're going with uh, the the, the Storyteller, the guide for each theatrical tour, the character they are playing. So they they're playing a character which is primarily like an acting thing, as they said, uh, that they are inhabiting this yeah. world as this character. However, that character that they are inhabiting is in this tour a storyteller. So it is a layered kind of effect here that they are playing a storyteller, much like you know we we play ourselves, we yeah. we perform ourselves. They are performing as a character as a storyteller. <laughs> so yeah, bit of both. And is the is the guide 
storyteller character, are they played by the same performer each night? No, so it's a different performer each night taking the lead as the guide, telling the stories, guiding the audiences through the other world. But there will be other performers, uh, other characters kind of popping up along the way, perhaps to tell you their stories, to kind of let you in on a bit of their world as well, uh, to get a few different perspectives on it. So yeah, everyone's involved. It's going to be great. great. So I'm going to shake the question ball again. Failed is a horror experience too. Yes. And different to the normal Darkland tour. Tell us about creating horror theatre. Well, I love creating horror theatre. So this isn't my first horror theatre piece. I did my first piece for my graduate show from college, and it was about Loftus Hall, which has the you know the classic tale of a stranger arriving in the night. The family in the house agree to play card games with the stranger and the stranger drops a card on the ground and when someone leans to pick it up oh my goodness he has the devil's feet ah he has goat feet (laughs) and uh, the wonderful Emily here actually was responsible for supplying the goat feet the last time I did the show don't know if I want to know where you got the goat feet they were real goat feet that's what I was assuming (laughs) so it's not my first horror experience but creating horror theatre is really really it's difficult, but mm. there are ways you can do it. and it It's not the norm, though. Not the norm, no. Uh, people don't tend to make horror or sci-fi on yeah. stage because you don't have the things you have in films, such as like camera angles, all this special effects stuff. Mm. Can't do that on stage because if someone's supposed to be there and they're not really there, well, then you need to have an actor on stage yeah. and you have to get a load of mirrors and do Pepper's Ghost and it's a whole confusing thing. But... There are a few ways you go about creating a really terrifying experience and that's why we we started this process as I started the last process as well. What scares you is like the mm. question I posed to the performers. What scares you? Because a lot of horror is pretty universal. We all have our own tics and our own things mm. but we all have there are universal things like oh clowns is a very popular one for example the reason the movie it was so popular is because mm. people hate clowns and you know like there so we have to work out what scares us and once we've done that then it's how do we create that on stage so there's there's a number of ways you do that one is through like directing it so you have certain beats if you're doing say a jump scare jump scare always comes on mm. a timed beat yeah. and it's the same in every film every media that uses jump scares mm-hmm. same beat so you have you have like four beats and beat one is the build up beat two is the height beat three is nothing beat four is the jump scare yeah. so you feel this kind of like ah uh, Ah, uh, sorry, sorry, if I jump scared you're listening. Uh, but that's it, it should create that feeling. So that comes from the directing. But a really, 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 really important part of creating horror is sound. Mm-hmm. Sound is the most important. Smells, what you can see in front of you, yeah, important. Look like what you can feel, mm. like temperatures, things like that. But sound is really, oh, is. really important. Yeah, like you watch a scary film without the sound. It's not that scary. I still remember uh, one of the first... I'd seen it when I was much younger, but I remember a time watching The Shining. Yeah. With two two really good friends, but I'd come in, like, partway through. I was just popping by to see them. They were watching it already. I sat down, and then just partway through, I just suddenly started laughing. Like, head off. They both turned around, what are you doing, Nisha? I was just like, I'm just imagining this with different music. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. 
and I, just the whole scene with the axe, I was imagining that the oh. Benny Hill team. From then on, every time something dramatic was happening, just the Benny Hill team was going in my head. I was just... Yeah, and because that is literally the music is what makes the suspense. Oh yeah, like the the I find the scariest bit of The Shining mm-hmm. is the opening scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the opening. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just the car driving with the music. Cause yeah. The music is so and much, and it sets the tone for the rest. Like if you didn't have that drone, it does yeah do nothing for you. Yeah, and that's nothing. the thing is that that's super important to creating so sound theater. music is. I'm mm. guessing from your your excitement is part of Veil. Yes, yeah. so we've got a wonderful sound designer by the name. Philly Holmes. You check out his Spotify. Yeah. Sweet Philly. Is, is his spot Spotify? Is it that called Sweet Philly? It is called Sweet Philly. Yeah, Sweet and Philly. he has soundtracks for shows that he does. So mm. he specializes in creating soundtracks for theatre. Uh, and so I brought him on board to create a really good soundtrack for this piece to make it to to bring it together. You know, to really yeah. give a yeah. tone to set it like very clearly. Mm. And what's also wonderful about using storytelling as to create horror because uh, when you say horror on stage and people mm. are like oh lots and lots of fake blood and while there is fake blood in Veiled uh, we're also you know using the storyteller kind of way and the ancient Greek theatre way of mm. telling what happens rather than showing what yeah. happens um, because one of the exercises that we've been doing in rehearsals has been guided meditation which is really interesting thing. I didn't bring that in before but I thought it would suit this project and it seems to have because when you give someone a guided meditation you give them a, a kind of key into a place but no specifics mm. our brains create the rest yeah. And what they create is often scarier than what you can put in front Much of them. So. Yeah. And so that's what's really cool about having storytelling and horror together. They yeah. got they they I don't yeah. they, they should match up more often. Like oh, I think they, they match so up so well. Yeah. I just re- I yeah. think that that's why creepypasta exists. Exactly. You know? <laughs> like, um, this is a time of year that's particularly good for <laughs> storytelling, the creepy kind, because it's Samhain. Ah, it is Samhain. Uh, uh, what is what, what on earth is Samhain? Is that the demon from Supernatural? You can't mm. tell the difference between a mask and a face? Mm. Sam Hain. I am literally in pain. But, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, Samhain, it's essentially the, according to some, the pre-Christian Irish New Year. It was a strange time of year. As the year was transitioning to the next, it was a liminal time, which meant time between times. Strange things happen at liminal times. And in terms of the Irish calendar, it was one of the four great festivals of the year. Uh, one of the two where all the creepy stuff started to happen. Ooh, because the as, veil was drawn back. Yeah, as I was saying, the veil between our world and the other world is blurred, thins. Therefore, the supernatural creatures come out. They're in our world now. Usually they can travel throughout, but they'd be unnoticed by us. Because the veil between our world doesn't really exist for that day. You can see them, they interact, they'll come to your house, they want things, if you don't give it to them, you will pay. And that's why people would dress up to blend in with the creatures and also take advantage of the fact that if you went up to someone's house, they would probably think you were an evil spirit and would give you whatever they wanted. Mm, sweet. Yes. Sweet. Now, that's more of a, a slightly later uh, development, but it, you can still see echoes of that even in, say, favourite story at Samhain, Ectra Nera, The Adventure of Nera. You can... Hearing the corpse. Exactly. But it was also the end of the year, it was New Year, celebrations would be happening, they'd be feasting, but you had to keep your guard up, because yes, our short laws of hospitality, if anyone came by, you'd have to make them welcome, but chances are they might be someone very dodgy, mm-hmm. could be 
fairy in disguise. A corpse. Or a walking corpse. The souls oh. of the dead would come back because the old Irish view of the afterlife is weird. <laughs> is it the fairy realm? Is it the afterlife? Is it just a patch of mist? Who knows? <laughs> it's somewhere know. else. It's somewhere it's else like other than. Happening. Yeah. And Veiled is happening over Samhain. Yes, mm. so it's happening from the 24th of October to the 2nd of November. And you can get your tickets on leprechaunmuseum.ie. Yeah, yeah. and this is, a, this is a strictly over 18. Strictly show. over 18. Yeah. Very limited availability, so get your tickets quickly. Unfortunately, the venue itself, we're using the old abandoned mm-hmm. Mary's Abbey, uh, on Mary's Abbey Street, number three to four. So is it, it's not wheelchair accessible. Is it in the Abbey? Uh, yeah, well, it's kind sorry, of... Number, number two to... Uh, number two to three, sorry, not number three to four. But it is the, yeah, so the Abbey itself was one of the first buildings built on the north side of Dublin. And it's just off of Capel Street. So you take a left at Brother Hubbard. And Mm -hmm. there is a, uh, yeah, so the, the Abbey was built, one of the first buildings on the north side of Dublin was like basically responsible for populating the north mm-hmm. side of the river Liffey. Uh, the building then was uh, that was built on the site then became it was a seed merchant's and so it has these gorgeous old windows and it's really lovely big old brick building. Then became an artist studio with a number of artists in there and now is ours to play with. But it is over 30 rooms, three floors, well four including the basement. Big old abandoned Don't go place. down to the basement. Don't go down to the basement. No. That's the best part of any. Oh, <laughs> but yes. So it's uh, it's ours to play with. So it's a it's in a new location. So it's not in the museum. But yeah, if you buy tickets and come along, yeah, it'll be great. Let's have some more questions. Hey. Yeah. Alice, would you like to? Uh, I'll pick a question. Question. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll answer myself. <laughs> Tell us about the process for devising a show. Ah, oh, this is a good one. So devising is a it's it's often touted as the opposite to directing a show. Mm. That's what people think. It is not. It is another means to direct a show. Devising is basically so directing you start with a play, with a script, and you go from there. You start with a play, with a script, with actors as a as cast as as characters they've got their parts devising you start with a concept you start with a group of people who are enthusiastic and fun and full of incredible ideas and you workshop and you do games and you randomly do summoning rituals in the (laughs) museum which we did we closed the ritual we don't think anything comes no we accidentally did a real ritual it was a whole shenanigan Uh, i'm pretty sure that's how nisha ended up in the basement to begin with time moves differently in the other world Um, yeah nisha nisha in fact i hadn't as you mentioned it i hadn't heard of nisha until after that Maybe we did some. Did we summon you? <laughs> Didn't um, want to say anything. But, um, but yeah, so we do workshops. Uh, oh, this is how we did it for this show anyway. We did workshops. And then I have a very specific and odd style for devising. Most devisers will take content generated in workshops and walk away and write the show. I like keeping my cast with me while we write the show just because they have been walking in the skin of the... of the performer, whether that be a storyteller, whether that be a, a random character that uh, may pop up in there, such as <laughs> Alan the Burner. Uh, and they've been walking in the skin, they have been involved, they have been, you know, working, like, they've, they've been doing the exercises in the mm-hmm. workshops, so they have a deeper kind of understanding 
than I would have having directed these workshops. And so I keep the cast with me and we write together. Now that sounds like a nightmare getting six artistic people in a room and saying, let's write a show. It works brilliantly. I would highly recommend it to anyone who wants to devise a show. Keep your cast with you. Um, and maybe some of your cast will even bring their dogs. Yes, maybe. Emily wonderfully brought dogs to their writing. <laughs> I will find any excuse to bring my dogs. Oh, they were great. They were very good because when you're like, oh God, I don't know what the next line should be. You just go stroke a dog for a minute and then you have it. And so, yeah, and so we wrote a script. And from then, it, it's then pretty similar to directing, well, it would be in general pretty similar to directing your your show, like starting with the script then. But you you tend to have like a, a very deep understanding of it by that point. Now, this is definitely unique from anything else I've ever done because it's less a theatre show, more a tour, uh, a theatrical tour. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's allowed for us to really get into like how important vocals are when telling a story because mm. when you don't have a stage when you have a, a small room in darkness and someone is telling you a story how important mm. the little intonations in their voice are it's really really good very it helps me like it, it's it's wonderful for me to get a chance to like really work with this mm. stuff and like improve my skills and see these incredible things happen right, yeah so can i have another question yeah the paper oh okay this is an immersive theatrical tour what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no so I, I think I mentioned before like the difference between immersive and interactive so in, an immersive theatrical tour it means that you aren't just going to watch a show in front of you you're going to walk through the landscape of the show and you're going to be guided through the landscape of the show by a guide. If you were to say the thing had like a theme or a flavour. Yeah, so it, the theme of it is, sorry, I'm trying to like gather my artistic brain here. Uh, it, it's really a pity that this, we don't have a visual because sometimes there are some ideas you can only express through hand gestures. Yep. Yes, if it were to have a theme or flavour, it is about remembering history and not repeating it. And it is also about Ireland and it's also about the oral storytelling tradition and how that is important to Ireland and how that's important to us now in our current day and age when we are focused on communication and what different communications mean. Mm -hmm. And so it's being presented in a theatrical form, but it has this message of understanding when someone is communicating with you, when someone is passing mm -hmm. through the veil, what are they here to say? Mm -hmm. What message do they have? And there's there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of themes in it as well there's also a lot of about anger and grief anger. and power yes grief is a big one in it actually I mean grief yeah. is a big one in just general Irish Irish folklore Irish, Irish folklore Irish theatre as well I mean yeah the, the sort of the the blanket description of an Irish play uh, someone's come back from England for a funeral yeah. and they have unresolved issues with their family probably relating to alcoholism. Yes, yeah, in fact, I've that seen a like couple of plays. Tuesday for me. Yeah, I've seen a couple of plays this month, and pretty much, yeah, that's exactly what they were. I don't think we deal with uh, there's any reference to alcohol or alcoholism in our. In no, our... no, not in Veiled. Uh, not in Veiled. Yeah, and no one is returning from England. Uh, ah. Oh. Uh, we can't but... get back from England anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey. 
I still have an English passport. Yes, grief is a big one. What, I think this was something, this came up actually uh, the other week when mm. we were, we were talking about one particular scene featuring Alan the Burner mm. and what power means to people and when something powerful is brought low, what do you do with that? Because there tends to be two severe swings on the spectrum. There are the people who will abuse that to, because now the, the, the power can be theirs. Mm -hmm. And there are people who help, who aid, who, who comfort the people who have been brought low. And we were talking about Marina Bramovich, mm. who's a very famous performance artist who did this great performance called Project Zero, where she stood in a gallery with a table with, I think it was 72 I'm going to say something yeah, yeah. to do. Uh, objects in front of her, including a loaded gun. No, there was a gun and a bullet, and someone would have to put the bullet in oh, the gun. Oh, okay. And yeah. there was a load of things, and how then giving the audience this power, some people put flowers in her hair, mm -hmm. and other people uh, sliced her open with a knife. And they sliced up her clothes. And yeah. yeah, and so like what that does to people is very, very mm -hmm. interesting. Like, the, the, what's that old phrase? It's a pa power corrupts, but absolute yeah, power, power corrupts, corrupts absolutely. absolutely. That is a good theme for this show, I would say. Yeah, yeah. another question. Misha. <laughs> yes, more crinkling. <laughs> Where can I get tickets? Well, Nisha, <laughs> you can get tickets on uh, If you go onto the website and click book now, there is an option there for veiled and click into that. Read the description. It is on in 2 to 3 Mary's Abbey, just off Capel Street. You can buy your tickets online. It is on from the 24th of October to the 2nd of November. The venue is not wheelchair accessible. And yes, yeah, I think that's everything. And buy your tickets now because they're, yes. they're gonna they're gonna yeah. sell it so fast. We have very limited availability. Very, very limited. And this is also an over 18s tour. Definitely. Now we keep saying it, but just please listen. Please, yes. Yeah, because if if you if you show up and you you've brought you. Your, your teenage cousin. We're not paying their therapy bill. We, and also, we can't let them in. Also, we I, I just want to say that it is not for the faint-hearted. Uh, you'll see on the website, read the info carefully. Yeah, because I think we've, we've got a little content warning in there. Give it a yeah. read, please, just so that, you know, safe spaces are provided, but we don't want... Because uh, if people at, at horror love being like, I go and come see this film with me, to their mate who can't mm -hmm. look at, you know... A clown without crying, and and, yeah. and they have an awful time, mm -hmm. and we don't want people having an awful time. Yeah. Just mental scarring. Yeah. So read your content warnings online. <laughs> okay. So uh, one more question, then we might have a story from Nisha. Yes. Yeah. I love it when Nisha tells stories. Nisha did the dark fans toy that I went on. I'm so one. sorry. It was so funny, Nisha. <laughs> you had me in fits of laughter. What's a good Halloween story? Oh, wow! <laughs> Holy <laughs> Isn't that funny? There you go, Nisha. And there's one question left of the ball. What does it say? Uh, what is Samhain? I think Nisha's already well, answered Yeah, that's happened. So, Nisha, what is a good Halloween story? a good story? story? Well, the best one is definitely how Finn became leader of the Fianna of Ireland. Oh. So, obviously, Finn, most famous hero in Irish folklore... Finn McCool, leader of the Fianna, giant among men. At least he thought so. I think he was a bit of a hunk in my head. I think he was like, you know, oh, there's a Hercules type. He was described as good looking. Yeah, I was just like... He was, was he? Oh, yeah. He was basically a riding half. Oh, nice. <laughs> Fairy women saw him thought, oh, 
Well, well, sure, wasn't he going to be a poet? And I heard, I found out that the poets used to go down to the fairies' hill and uh, and be kind of conduits to the fairies getting yeah. pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could sort of exchange your um, fertility for poetic inspiration. Yep. Finn Good was a ride. Good trade. Finn was a ride, like poetry. <laughs> All starts before he's even born, though. Uh, so, best to start with Nuda. He's got a lovely castle. Gorgeous. <laughs> Nuda of the Silver Arm? Maybe. We're not sure. Could be. It's Irish mythology. We like repeating names. Okay. We're going to say it is. So, Nuda, after the Silver Arm incident, he's got a lovely castle. It's very nice. It's got excellent it's frontage. It's got road frontage. Much frontage. Acreage? Uh, not much acreage, but nice frontage. Okay. So, it'll do. It's grand. <laughs> and it's got gleaming white walls. You can see it for miles. It's an absolute shame this doesn't exist anymore because it sounds gorgeous. But he owns this place and he's got a daughter called Myrna. And as you do in Ireland, he hears a prophecy. Mm. It says that if he has a grandson, they're going to steal this nice castle from him. He's not going to find better frontage. He doesn't want to get rid of the castle. <laughs> So he forbids Morna from having a relationship. Obviously, forbidding your young daughter to have a relationship with a man is the best way to get her pregnant. Exactly. <laughs> she needs a travelling soldier. I say travelling soldier. He's the leader of the Fianna of Ireland. They're a band of fighting men. They make also poetry. Poet. They're gorgeous as well, like Finn. So these attractive, fi- poetical fighting men. Can I just men. put in a thing? One of the things to join the Fianna was you have to be able to plait your hair properly. Oh yeah, they knew oh. how to manage their hair. They could braid it till the cows came home. Then run through the fields without breaking a single twig and without a single plait coming undone. Exactly. They could teach us a thing or two about hair care. Mm. So this gorgeously braided man just comes up to Myrna one day. She loves his hair. He's speaking all poetical like. It's very, it's very attractive. The, the, the she, she's, she's there. She wants him. They get married. They elope. Nua is not very happy. Oh no. So he comes up with a plan. The Fianna, there's a lot of infighting. So he goes to one guy called A. McMorna and tells him that if he kills this guy, cool. He can take control of the Fianna. He'll support him. He'll make sure the king doesn't do anything because Nua is kind of a god. And then he can take control of the Fianna. This A sees no problem with that. Goes off, fights a big battle, manages to kill Cool, but Cool in his death throes slashes out A's eye, earning him the name Gal McMorna, the one-eyed. Which Pilot. seems... Everything seems kind of resolved. <laughs> Nuitha's still got his home. Yes, A doesn't have an eye anymore, but he's got a badass eye patch. He looks cool. Problem is, Cool's dead. And Morna, well, she actually did get pregnant. She's got a little baby boy on the way. She and she knows. Yeah. Gal figures this out. Well, he's going to think this young man's going to try and steal the control of the Fianna from him. Because you kill a man, his son is going to come back and kill you. It's, yeah, that's it, how it works. Right? That's how it works in Ireland. And of course, she's also afraid that her that her father's going to figure it out. So she goes to her to I believe it is either hers or Cool's sister. Someone's sister. Someone's sister. She's related, called Bovril. And she says, will you please... Wait, Bovril, take... like the... Bovril, yeah. Yeah. It's far... Um, does I... it have a DH in it? It does somewhere, but... Okay. I, it's, it's old I've Irish pronunciation. That. I've seen that one, yeah. It's... Anyway, B-woman. Bovril. Sister. 
she's going to say, please, will you, when I, when I give, I'm going to be giving birth soon, can you please take this child and look after it? I, I can't be around to him. And she goes, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. Me and my friend Leah will take care of him. So, Marina's canonical lesbian couple yep. in Irish mythology. Yes. Lesbian power couple. Yep. Mm-hmm. She gives birth to a beautiful boy. He's called Demna. Demna's then raised with the, the lesbian power couple till he's seven. He gets abducted by bandits. It's very traumatizing. He loses his hair, and even when they recover him and it grows back, it's, it's white because of the stress. And he gives his name Finn. Now, Finn goes a bit more, and they take him aside when they go now. You've, you've learned everything you can from us. Unfortunately, we can't teach you the last little piece of your education. You've got to learn poetry. Uh, you can't be a man in Ireland without composing a few poems, sure even not. if it's just a dodgy limerick. <laughs> so off he goes to be apprenticed to, a, to another poet called Finicus. Bit of a weird guy. He lives in the forest near a well. Rages in trying to catch a fish called the Salmon of Knowledge. This is a very famous story, so I'm skipping over a lot of the detail here. They catch the fish. Finn cooks it for him, burns his thumb, then he sticks his thumb in his mouth, and amazingly, there's still salmon on his thumb. How could Finn have known? As soon as he tastes it, all the knowledge in the world rushes to Finn. Finnegus comes back. He sees this very wise Finn wandering around and goes, well, I think I know what's happened. I don't need to have eaten the salmon of knowledge to figure this out. Sorry, I'm just miming all of this. Yeah, yeah it's a shame we don't have the camera thing. here. But Finn goes, oh, well, I've got all the knowledge in the world now. You can't really teach me much more, can you, Finnegus? No, I can't, Finn. Get off with you. So leaves Finn. And Finn goes, well, right, what I need to do now is become the leader of the Vienna. What else do you do? Become a leader of the Fianna. So he goes off to meet with the Kai King of Ireland, Khan of the Hundred Battles, because it's Samhain, and he knows. Mm. Weird stuff happens at Samhain at the time, since it was the new year for the pre-Christian Irish, things would get sorted out, new laws could be enacted, so it's a good time to show up. And also, people were travelling around at Samhain, it wasn't so suspicious, he didn't travel around too much back then. So he shows up at Tara, meets with the king, declares himself as the son of Cool. he wishes to be named leader of the Fianna, and Khan says, that's great. Love the ambition. Fantastic. Problem is, we have a very capable leader of the Fianna at the moment. And you're 13. And you're 13. So, but tell you what, I liked your dad. We've had an issue here in Tara the last few years. Past 23 years, actually. Every single sound when the sun sets, well, we will start hearing this really strange, beautiful music. As we hear the music, we all drift off into a deep magical slumber. And while we sleep, well, we wake up the next day to find that our home has been burnt down. Some vicious fairy from the other world has been travelling there every single Samhain and burning down the settlement of Tara. And his name? Alan the Burner. Yeah, haven't mentioned him before at all. No, no. So Alan, he's he keeps coming out, burning down Tara. I've no idea why. They don't know why, but they know he keeps doing it. Everyone and their mother has been trying to stop him, including Gaul, but they all fall asleep to the music because it's very pretty. But he tells Finn that if he manages to stop Alan from burning Tara that night and kills him, then he can be named leader of the Fianna. Hmm. No one's going to object to this. This is a next to impossible task. Gaul thinks he's grand. He's never going to accomplish this. But Finn... 
Well, he's also a bit worried. He seems to have forgotten that he has the salmon of knowledge in his thumb. So he just goes outside, starts pacing back and forth, going, Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Old guy shows up. Takes one look at Finn and goes, Are you the son of cool? Says he is. I mean, it's in his name. Yeah, like Finn McCool. And he goes, Ah, I knew your father well. I served with him for many years. Tell you what. He gave me this spear. It's a noxious spear. It's deadly poison. Smells like shite. (laughs) If you take this spear, hold it underneath your nose and sniff on the noxious fumes, you'll get a good high and you'll stay away from us. Now, we've talked about this before. Well, huffing on fumes is the best way to stop a fairy attack. <laughs> and so, he says, well, The right, Leprechaun it, Museum does not endorse oh, substance abuse. No, we don't. <laughs> if Sorry. You heard, if you heard a little, like, after Nisha said that, that was Emily's head hitting her hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm just telling it like it was. <laughs> Alright. So, Finn was there. He's got the spear in all the guy wants in exchange is that he gets 50% of Finn's profits from then on. As essentially the Fiennes seem to be a non-for-profit organisation, that's not going to work out too well for him, but anyway. Finn goes off. He's make sure he can see the hill that Alan's going to come out of. Takes the spear, holds it underneath him, starts huffing away on the Fiennes. And then Alan comes out. Takes out his park, he starts plucking away on the strings. Enya flows throughout the Valley of Tara. Everyone starts drifting off to sleep. Apart from Finn. Not only are the fumes getting him very excited, <laughs> even when he starts going to sleep, he just starts pricking his head on the spear. So obviously stab wounds and fumes will keep him awake. Alan reaches Tara, stops playing a harp, throws caution to the wind, takes a deep breath. <gasps> Finn takes the noxious spear and just chucks it at him. Stabs him in the throat, he can't breathe fire anymore. He makes a mad dash for the fairy hill. Finn is having none of it. Rushes up behind him, cuts Alan's head from his shoulders, and returns to Tara. Chucks the head in, blood splashes everywhere. Everyone thinks this is great. Alan's dead. He can be named leader of the Fianna. Everyone starts cheering. Hey! Except Gal. He's a bit peeved. Just a bit. He's, he's just sitting there going, well, How is this fair? I okay. wake up from a nap and. I turn my back for a split second. I close my one eye for five minutes. Yeah, but eventually he has good graces about it. He goes up to Finn and goes, Look, tell you what, if you'll forgive me for murdering your dad, (laughs) we can make peace. I'll serve you as the leader of the Fianna. Grand job, Ian. Takes him on, obviously goes off to fulfil the prophecy, because it's a prophecy. Prophecy. Uh, Ends up... Either killing his grandfather or just exiling him from the Hill of Allen. Depends on the version. Interesting that it's called the Hill of Allen and he killed Allen. Yeah, I've always found that one. Are they spelt differently? They are spelt differently. I am convinced there's a connection there, mm. but we do not have time to go into that connection. But he, he takes the gleaming fortress so drown it up. He's got all the knowledge of the world in his thumb. He has become leader of the Fianna, he has killed Alan the Burner, and he has a property with excellent frontage. <laughs> Every Irishman's dream. And he's got a good story for to tell Alan Samhain. He sure does. And yeah, Alan makes a little appearance in Veiled as well. Because Alan is a, a very interesting character who yeah. pops up. And he, uh, whenever he pops up, he pops up in different forms. Yeah. Sometimes he's... he is... 
human. Sometimes, sometimes he is fairy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he is paced. Yeah. Ooh. 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 <laughs> so the one if, thing he wasn't is not a dragon. He was not a dragon. But I was... <laughs> it's interesting how a paced might play a oh, heart. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. paced, they're generally described as... They're, they're not giant snake eel monsters, but... They are. They, they, they don't they have they fingers. They are. They are and they definitely don't have fingers. Nope. Yeah. But anyway, you'll have to come see Veil to find out how a paste uh, how a paste creates music. And just uh, one more time, just once really? more with feeling. Mm. Where can you get tickets? When is Veiled on? Lovecore Museum Dollarie. Click book now and scroll down to Veiled. It is on the 24th of October to the 2nd of November. Tickets are 15 euro. They are online. Uh, you can buy them there. It's 18 plus. Venue is not wheelchair accessible. It's in 2 to 3 Mary's Abbey just off Cable Street. Uh, check your content warnings and limited availability. So buy now. Hashtag LMN Veiled. No, LLM Veiled. Hashtag LLM Veiled. And you will see uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, there is everything hashtag LLM Veiled. And actually, you're going to be taking over our social media at some stage. You're planning <laughs> yeah. a coup, aren't you? I, I am planning a coup. This has all been a. Uh, see, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in here, sing you all to sleep, and sit. And then take over, you know, that's it. I will. uh, So keep an eye on our Instagram or Insta stories to see the day that Alice um, burns down Tara. Burns down Tara, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, um, hope you have a happy Samhain. We hope we see you beyond the veil. Yes, please come to see it. I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. It's been a wonder to work on. Uh, And yeah, thank you, Emily and Nisha, for having me on the podcast. Yeah, and goodbye. Goodbye. Slaw.